Hi everyone, welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kazen. This week we're going to be talking about remakes. Yes, we are. How to do a proper remake. That's how I'm thinking about titling it, at least as far as the stream goes. Maybe I'll title it something different depending on how the conversation goes when it goes to YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Because my short answer to that is don't do it at all if you want to do it. <laughs> if you want it to be good, I don't think you can. But <laughs> um, <laughs> At least, like, as good as the original. It's true. Like, you will never... Rarely will you ever approach the original. So it's exactly don't, don't even try. <laughs> we'll get more into that later. Look forward yeah. to that. First, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, game just released a couple days ago. Yeah, I bought it. I've been playing it a little bit. I haven't had as much time to play it as I would have liked. Um, there's been a couple of other things that I've also been doing. By the way, Kason, I have um, a Steam or not a Steam a switch code for you for that tactics brigade yeah um, remember that game we've shown a couple times on the podcast that strategy or tactical yeah. strategy yeah it looks um, super cool it's coming out on august 9th so uh, uh he reached out and um gave us a couple switch codes so i've been trying to play sweet. that so that, you know i can you know give some thoughts on that uh before the game comes out and stuff so anyways cool. my time has been uh divided a little bit but Fire Emblem Three Houses. I let's see. I'm not that far. I have done the opening scenario. I've gone into the like the academy monastery thing. I did like the first day of exploring the mock battle between the three different houses, and the next day of exploring. And now I think I'm about to do a mission where I have to go and fight some bandits and, like, protect a village or something like that. Hey, so classic, classic of Fire Emblem. Yes, it's very early on still. Yeah, cool. So my thoughts on this are nowhere near final. I hate that I have to do this every single freaking time. People, Only when your opinion's negative. <laughs> my gosh. I've played, like, three hours of the game, okay? I have nowhere near a full understanding of what the game entails or how things will work late later on or how they come together anything like that i don't know yet these are just initial impressions like very very early on stuff so it's not a review okay it's just a gut reaction from the very beginning of the game um i thought the intro was amazing because I expected this to be very um, kind of like cheesy. Y you know how uh, a lot of uh, anime, especially in the, the dubbed localization, the voices are directed in a way that kind of like, there's just a, okay, I had another conversation with somebody recently about this. I, I hate mm. having to qualify everything I say. It really irritates I know it's me stupid because everybody when I, takes you out of context or uh, takes your, the worst possible meaning that you could have meant and prescribes yes. it to you as a motive. Ugh. When I say it's it's anime esque, it's it's a little too anime for me, right? That does not mean I think every anime in the existence of the universe from the beginning of mankind sucks. I'm not saying all. Hashtag not all. <laughs> Cowboy Bebop is great. 
Very good. Freaking Paranoia I Agent. Loved Paranoia Agent. I yeah, fetching I freaking liked uh, Death Note for the first season. Death Note, yes. Season one was Samurai Shampoo is my favorite show probably of all time. Yeah, freaking awesome. Ghost in the yeah. Shell is freaking great. Miyazaki films are fantastic. No. I like some anime. It's not all bad, okay? <laughs> there are still trends <clears throat> and cultural influences that tend to be perpetrated because people grow up liking things about a genre and they kind of like do the same thing because they like it. So you see trends pop up. Okay. Anime is not a single genre. You can do science fiction anime and you can do uh fantasy anime. You can do freaking just like slice of life. Yeah. Comedies. There's all kinds of things you can do. However, anime is not as broad a category as something like animation or film or something like that. It's more niche and you see certain trends, certain tropes, certain things pop up in it more often than you will find in other things. And there is a bit of a cultural gap. So there are certain things about anime that bother me that are trends in it. I'm not saying it's all bad. Please stop saying that I think that. I don't think that. Stop it. Okay, rant's over. From the trailers of Fire Emblem Three Houses, it seemed to feel, now that I've just qualified that, a little too anime to me, okay? Right. <laughs> um, but that, ha- it, it, that it, I was pleasantly surprised that the voice acting is actually not bad. For the most part, it it feels pretty naturalistic. It doesn't have a lot of those anime esque type of um, uh, I don't know what you call them, like vocalizations. You know the uh, or or you know uh, female characters having just like ridiculously high pitched voices for no reason, uh, trying to be too cutesy. Um, the writing is is it's not it's not like masterful writing or anything uh fireman fate's writing was like really really terrible like just really bad fireman three houses for the most part when people are talking it it comes across as feeling pretty natural and um it's not distracting did you hear that they just got rid of one of the actors i did read that the male <laughs> yeah. actor for the for the male protagonist character but i yeah. have not heard him speak ever like he's oh, a silent really? protagonist oh oh well okay maybe there's maybe grunts grunts are like oh or you know the little like the little qualifying sounds they do yeah. like kind of in zelda where they have you go like oh uh-huh, and then like the, uh-huh. the text uh-huh. will just yeah. kind of read Unless it's something like that, he he doesn't like speak out loud. So I, I was kind of confused by that. There is a little too much as you know dialogue in it for my taste. You know, where it's like, oh, we're gonna give some exposition by explaining. I mean, they literally say the words as you know. I think um the the mm-hmm. father character of the main guy literally yeah. uses the words, turns to him and goes, as you know, blah 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 blah. And I just sit there and go like, how can anyone who claims uh. to be a writer Right. They've obviously had a process of learning that probably been through school, literature courses, whatever. 
as you know, is one of the most basic principles of writing. Yeah. You don't do that. Or you try to avoid it whenever you can. How does someone go through that and then write the words as you know into a sentence of dialogue? I, it just blows my mind. But that being said, it is much, much better on that front than Fates was. So nice. my worries about it be feeling cheesy or tropey or whatever, um, it's not... It's it's not it's not that bad. It's actually pretty decently executed for the most part. Um, the music is great. I um, when I got into the first battle, I thought it started off really strong. That first like uh, sort of opening cut scene, or, or just kind of like opening little um, sequence movie where that's the, the war that's happening, that big battle. Um, I thought that was really cool, and then you get you get into a battle really quickly. And I haven't played Fire Emblem for a while. I didn't like Fates, so I didn't even like get more than a few hours into it. So it's been a while since I had like a, a Fire Emblem game I could really get into. And so when I f- had that first battle, I started to feel like, I guess, the fire within me. Like, yes, awesome. Like, I'm going to have a cool Fire Emblem game to play again. Like, the strategy, like the actual... Uh, tactical portion of it because as far as tactical RPGs go I really like the way Fire Emblem is structured the way it uses Mm. units and terrain and uh, a lot of times the way that the the maps are structured Um, I just have a lot of fun with it I I just I as far as tactical RPGs goes it's it's my favorite series so that's how I was feeling, and then you get into the monastery, the academy side of it, which is the whole like school life simulator sort of like persona kind of like aspect to the game, where you go around and you do side quests and build your uh, relationships with the students and instruct them and increase their stats and. Uh, do all kinds of things. Sit down and have meals with them to increase like their morale or their motivation is what they call it, I think. And like you mm-hmm. can like grow things in a garden. You can fish. There's all kinds of stuff you can do. And I have heard almost purely universal praise of this game. People are loving it. It's getting mm-hmm. really good reviews. And so I was like, awesome. Like I'm looking forward to trying it. But that side of it, the school life side of it, I think at this point it's become clear to me that that is just not something that I appreciate in games. Like, I just don't want to play a game where I go day to day or even if they skip a couple days going to school and talking to people and running errands for them. And like, I wanted to just get back into another battle, right? Like, I feel like the way fire emblem awakening handled the like out of battle relationships portion of the game was better because you could do it quickly. Like, you just select mm. a guy and you can watch a little scene between them if you want, but it's totally optional and you can reclass people and sort of like change what they've, you know, their equipment and stuff like that. But in, in this, I mean, the monastery is pretty large. So you're running around this huge like castle 
like trying to find the the waypoint where you can like go talk to this guy and then you have to run all the way back or you can fast travel if you want i guess but it's just it's it's errand running and it's not super engaging stuff i i think mm. that the at least so far the the side quests in the academy side of stuff has been real stale and not very engaging and i don't really feel a strong connection to the characters through doing it I don't think it does enough to flesh out their personalities and their background and get me like, oh, I like this person. Maybe it will become more that way. Maybe it's these are like tutorial-esque sort of things just to get you used to how you go about doing things, and then maybe they'll layer that a bit more. But as of right now, like those sections have been far longer for me trying to like do everything you can do during them than the mm. actual battling portion which is what I'm here for. I'm here for the tactical fighting. <laughs> I'm here for the battles. I'm not here for the the academy life, right? So um at first I, I it got off to a real strong start and then it really slowed down for me. And yeah. you know, it, it could be that um all of that academy stuff is optional you don't really have to do it but you really do boost your characters a lot for the battles through doing it you can instruct them and then they like get better with wielding spears and uh you know so you will increase their stats and they'll be more useful in the battles um and you'll have like better rapport with them so it, it has an, a direct effect on the battle so you want to do as much of that as you can i feel i feel like it, it wouldn't be a good idea to just skip that stuff so hmm. anyways that's about all I can really say about it, but I've just done a couple of really early battles, but I liked them. Um, I just wish I could do that more quickly. Like the, I wish the Academy stuff wasn't quite so long a process. I wish it was just really short. A couple of things you can mm -hmm. do on a checklist and then just like move on to the battles and stuff. But um, I will keep playing it and I'll keep updating you on my feelings on it as I go. But I, I'm not, I'm not feeling like I want to play it every day. It might be like something I do for an hour here or there, or a couple of times a week, just because I just don't feel the motivation because those sections are too long for me. Um. Okay. Okay. Cool. Let's get into our main topic. Let's do it. So, remakes. Remakes. Have you ever seen or played a remake of a movie or a game that was better than the original one ever in your life? No. I, I have to say yes. Okay. It, ha it is extremely rare. It is incredibly rare. But there are a few things that a lot of people may not know. And I don't say this to you know refute your point. But... It is. It has been done before, and I think possibly the fact that it has been done before is what gives people the false sense that it can be done this time. <laughs> but <laughs> Ben Hur was originally made in 1924, I think, maybe. Mm -hmm. So Ben Hur, the Ben, you're Hur actually of you're actually walking. Sorry, I don't what? want to interrupt you too much. You're you're walking straight into a point I was going to make, though. So this is good. really yeah okay. So the original Ben Hur 
Oh, actually, I just typed in Ben Hur and saw that there was a remake in 2016. Yep, a really okay, bad remake okay. recently. That might but that's be not, your point. That's, that wasn't the point I was going to make, though. No. Okay, so Ben Hur made in 1924, I think, and then was remade in 1959. Phenomenal, one of the best movies ever. Very, very, very well made. Um, absolutely beautiful and better than the original. Now I'm seeing it was remade, and I remember now. I totally forgot. They made it again about two years ago, and I just saw the trailers. My gosh, it did not look like a very good movie. Um, so, but, you know, the second one. And I do have to bring up, because I have seen the original Scarface as well, which was made in about 1934, something like that. I watched that one back in film school, and the it is a good movie in and of itself, but it was, it was just at a weird time in cinema when things were just kind of starting and like sound had just been introduced into movies and it's a good movie in its own right. But the remake of Scarface in 1970s is a better movie. So there's those two that I'll just throw out there. Um, Mm. As of the many, many remakes I've seen, um, those are the only two that actually come to mind. So, so it's like 99% bad. (laughs) This was, this is the point I was going to bring up. And yeah. I, I thought it was really, really interesting that you brought that up. I, mm-hmm. I looked up a list of movies that are considered, at least by this this article written on Screen Rant, that were the remakes were better than the originals. <laughs> and most of them were movies that were made back in the 1930s and 20s. Yeah. That were remade again. It's like if you let 100 years pass by or 50 years you might have a better excuse for a remake than something exactly. from like 20 years ago. <laughs> so they have yeah. some, they have, they have a list like 12 monkeys. The original was La Hete. I think it's probably a foreign it's French or something that was made in 1962. The oh. remake was made in 1995. So 33 years later, hmm. 30. Yeah. 33, 33 years, years later. You have the man who knew too much. Yeah. 1934 <laughs> to 1956. 22 years later, but even still, both of those are very old movies. Scarface, which I have seen, uh, 1932 mm. to 1932. That was, oh, that was right when sound started, man. Holy cow. This, this is a 50 year difference between these two things. Yeah. Uh, the Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon, but I like the original Maltese Falcon, though. Now, this is interesting because they had one in 1931. But then they had one in 1941. So that was only 10 years removed. Oh, hold on. So I didn't know that there was one before the 1941. Yeah. That's actually extremely interesting. So the Maltese Falcon was originally like a dime novel, just a a very cheap little paperback book. And it it was good. But I didn't know that the one I thought was the original was actually the remake. That's very interesting. Guy from Casablanca looks to be one of the leads in this. Humphrey Bogart, was that it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, Humphrey. Yeah, Bogart. I've seen um, that though. I that was like the first. I think Maltese Falcon is considered the first film noir. So, uh, you probably know the history a little better than me. When did like sound in movies become like a staple? Like for sure, every time we go see a movie, there is going to be sound in it. It's not silent. Ni- Nineteen thirty is when it became a staple. So the first sound film ever was nineteen twenty seven. It was a movie called The Jazz Singer. And it was it just blew people's minds. But it took a while for every movie. Before every movie in the theaters was a talkie 
not just a movie, um, was probably around 1930, 1929, 1930. So the first Maltese Falcon was 1931. This is like a year after that. Yeah, right when it started. (laughs) So, you know, I'll get into this in in, in terms of video games too, but that is interesting. It's interesting to me that most of these movies on this list were super old movies first. Uh, yeah. The Fly, 1958 to 1986. Uh, the Blob, 1958 to 1988. Now, here's one I actually do agree with. And this one is is also something that I want to try and account for because it's going to depend on the person and their like subjective feelings toward a genre or just in mm. general to older movies. True Grit. Oh, okay. Ah, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I would probably agree with you. I think I would side. I love the original though. The original is very good with John Wayne, but it is way more theatrical. It's way less believable. The acting, I think it all comes down to the acting. And while John Wayne is a legend, um, he wasn't much for realism. He was a lot more of a, a theater theatrical actor. I think he was way more of a performer than a, a realistic actor. So in that sense, I probably would agree with you. I think I, I prefer the new true good as well. Also a very good point And something that I will tie into my larger point here in a minute. The, 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 the style of movies from the 1950s and sixties and thirties and forties versus mm-hmm. the style of newer movies, which kind of like we talked about with, uh, you know, Japanese drama yeah. in general, not trying for realism so much. Right? Yeah, yeah. That being, being a very style. okay with, yeah. And so when you're localizing that for a Western audience that prefers something that's more naturalistic, you know, like the, the barriers there, right? It's that, a huge barrier because of... you, can't, you can't just delete the soliloquies. Like that's yeah. important to the story. You can't just take them out. So exactly. you got to keep them in and it just doesn't fit the culture. So I grew up not being a big fan of Westerns. I didn't like Westerns as a kid. Yeah. I, I thought they were cheesy. I didn't, I just didn't like the setting that much. It didn't appeal to me. And yeah. I'm, I'm true grit and red dead redemption came out. I think the same year. Yeah. Like right around there. Yeah. How about that? And both of mm. those completely changed my mind on Westerns. They totally opened my mind and my eyes to it. And yeah. I learned to appreciate them a lot more. So I loved the new true grit. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. It's very good. Um, anyways, you, you, I think you get the idea. Uh, we have, um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which was originally called Bedtime Story in 1964. I didn't know that. <laughs> as, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in 1988. That movie's great. I didn't know it was directed by Frank Oz, though. That was a surprise. Oh, how about that? Huh. But, uh, Michael Caine and Steve Martin, classic movie. Really good. This is one you'll probably disagree with. Infernal Affairs to no, Departed. No, 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 no. The Departed I, I, is not yeah. as good. Infernal <laughs> Affairs is better. That is, I can't believe they even went there. That is not okay. That yeah, is I not disagreed. Okay. I disagreed with that as well. <laughs> I thought Infernal Affairs was much better, but this is only separated Absolutely. by four years, but it's it's just a, it's not so much it's a like, remake. Yeah, it's like it's, a cultural, what would you call the adaptation it's, maybe? Or, it's the know. American version and the, yeah. the, um, uh, why am I a Korean version, right? Well, it's a Chinese actually. Because Andy Lau was in it, yeah. It was like Hong Kong. Oh, Hong Kong, yeah, Hong Kong thriller. Yeah. So Chinese version and the American version. They did the same thing with uh, the Eye and uh, yeah, the Korean, one? the Eye, the, the Ring, the Grudge. The Ring, like yeah. a lot of those were just remade over here. 
just the, the Hollywood version. Right. Yeah. Uh, Infernal Affairs. You guys should watch it. Infernal Affairs is such a good movie, and it is way better than The Departed. I'm sorry. The Departed it's not a bad movie. I have seen it. It's all right. Yeah. But like Infernal Affairs, I think, was much better. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then like Ocean's Eleven. Again, 1960 version versus the 2001 version. Yeah, and that's 40. when I haven't seen the original, but I do really like the the George Clooney one. So Yeah, it is good. So that's 41 years removed. Okay, so now the entire reason why I wanted to bring that up is that most of the examples that I think would be widely considered are super old movies that most people today did not grow up with, see when they were new, anything like that. Exactly. And this is the key, I think, to a remake being received well. I think that uh, it's obvious. It's not even something I think. Like Stories are written or movies are made or games are made for the current generation that will consume that thing. So... Final Fantasy VII, coming out in 1997, appealed to us in 1997, right? It was made for us at that time. Had huge, wide, sweeping appeal, just blew everyone away. That was unbelievable to us, made for us. It spoke directly to us, kids, in 1997. These movies that were made in the 1960s and 50s and 40s and 30s your grandma is, I think, yes. a good example of someone who would have seen that at the time. Oh, yeah. She's and if you showed her the remake of the same movie, I can guarantee she would not like the new one. She would prefer the old one. Would I be correct in assuming that in like 100%, 100% of cases? Probably about 100% of the time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, for everyone else who did not, right, I did not grow up – well. Uh, the original True Grit, for instance, was more like 1969, so it's not quite as old. But even still, this is 17 years before I was born. Yeah. Right? And and before the the modern age of the Hollywood blockbuster was revolutionized by uh, by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. They just ushered in a totally new exactly. age of it's movies. It's a new era, yeah. And that new age of movies in the 80s and 90s is the the style I grew up with. It spoke to me. I was the modern audience for that. So I watched the new True Grit speaks to me and my time. I watched the old one and it just, I feel like I can't relate to it. Now, that's not the same. I I don't say that for all old movies. Again, hashtag not all. (laughs) I have to qualify that every time. (laughs) Every time. I watched Casablanca uh, pretty mm. recently. I actually went to the um, the Utah Symphony where they'll like they'll oh, play nice. the soundtrack along with it. It was kind of oh, a cool that's experience. cool! Holy cow, nice! Um, but that's a classic movie, great movie, yeah, resonant good, story. Uh, I, I feel kind of timeless, right? Um, mm. uh, there's lots of great old classic movies that I really like, so it's not that I can't appreciate them. I appreciate many of them, but. In True Grit's case, for the reasons you've explained, the naturalistic acting and presentation of the current day True Grit speaks to me more than the hyper theatrical version of 1969. But that would not be the same for your grandmother. So things are made for people in the age that they're made. And this has so much to do 
with how the movie will be received. So I just got out of watching The Lion King. Nice. About an hour ago. Um, I wanted to see it specifically for this discussion. Uh, because what I had heard was from people who had seen the movie and reviewed the movie, this is a soulless shot for shot remake of the original. It's like basically exactly the same movie, just with this hyper realistic CGI. And uh, it, it doesn't do anything different. It doesn't have its own spin. There's no thumbprint on it from the, these new creators. They don't do anything interesting with it. And I was like, okay, let me go see how I feel about it. I went and saw it, and I'm here to tell you, first of all, it's not a shot-for-shot remake. I think that's an exaggeration. The opening sequence of the movie, like the intro the with the, the music and the sunrise and, and the oh, animals yeah. all going to Pride Rock, that part is shot-for-shot. Shot. That is like literally they matched it exact framing shot for shot that whole intro sequence is one to one (laughs) but the rest of the movie is not it's just that it follows the beats of the original film very very closely but that's not what's wrong with the movie that's not why the the movie is soulless at all and uh i'll get into the reasons why but it's mostly an execution thing you have on one hand the original lion king that is impeccably well executed from not just the writing, but to the direction, the performance of the actors all matched up with the really detailed animation. Um, All of that comes together for like really good moments of impact. Now, another qualifier I have to bring into this. I know there's been a lot of um, attention with the the release of this new Lion King to the fact that it was essentially plagiarized from Kimba the White Lion. That's a whole separate discussion. I'm not here to talk about whether or not their claim on the Lion King being an original story is accurate or not. I don't it doesn't I I, I I'll give you that. It's not Disney stole the story from uh the, the Japanese Kimba series or whatever. Whatever. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about yeah. how the original movie was executed versus how the, the modern movie was executed. And one thing that struck me and was severely irritating almost the entire time I was watching it was that it's a actually I wanted to check on this. I forgot to do it. I wanted to see what the runtime is for the original. Uh Lion King 1994 runtime. Let me just check on this real quick. Because, okay, the original movie is one hour and 28 minutes long, so an hour and a half. The new movie is two hours long. I think it's one hour and 58 minutes. It's actually 30 minutes longer, and I suspected this was true, but this is why it baffled me. The new movie feels incredibly rushed. Just like really? every scene is just flying by. It feels that way. Yet the movie is actually half an hour longer. And I and oh. I it all comes down to uh the the direction and the performances. I, it's hard to explain. I'll I'll try to do it as briefly as I can. Um there is never a moment to breathe. And let what's being said sink in or for the characters to reflect on what's been said or to think about it and then respond. 
It's like character A says something, character B just responds with their line of dialogue, and it's just like, bam, 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 bam. There, it, there's, it doesn't feel like they're having a conversation. It feels like, okay, your line, my line, your line, and from scene to scene, the transitions from scene to scene feel like, okay, we got the Pride Rock scene, check. Okay, we got the uh, Circle of Life scene, check. Okay, we got the Stampede scene, check. Okay, we've got the Akuna Matana scene, check. Move on, move on, move on. It feels like a machine. It feels... Mm. It feels a robot like could have made this movie. That's there's no life because it's just checking off the next thing because they knew it was going to make $185 million opening weekend. And all the remakes, I think you were saying together have grossed like over $8 billion in the yeah, last few years. So and much money. It's unbelievable. Nefariously, the real true purpose of remaking these movies all these live action slash like CGI versions of them is so that Disney can renew and hold on to their licenses of these products. The copyright. Uh, the, yeah, the that's IPs. freaking. That's the entire reason. Disney is it. so like on top such of what a business. You guys don't even realize they're such a massive corporation. They're not even. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's and do you know what's so stupid about it is like, what? They're trying to retain these copyrights and these licenses on stories that were never theirs to begin with. I know, I know. Yeah, Disney a lot of them has are, like Little Mermaid is is an old it's old tale. Always, you know? always, always, always been old classic fairy tales and folklore yeah. that are in the public domain. And like Aladdin was from a revised version of the Thousand One Arabian Nights. So like that's freaking an old story. Disney can't totally just own that. Exactly. So yeah. they're trying as much as they can yeah. to hold on to properties. And this is the reason why it's been 20 something years. They want to refresh their grip and hold on these IPs. Yeah. Right. So that's why they're doing it on top of the fact that they were so beloved and so well made in their time that everyone's going to go back and want to experience that again in the movie theater. So this Lion King, despite the fact that it's not good, um, and I'll get more into that a little bit, but I think as like a 53% of Rotten Tomatoes, it's not been received that well critically, mm. but it still made $185 million opening weekend. It's freaking breaking records. Like what and, the fetch? Making tons of money. What the fetch? I think, I feel so, like it's topped a billion worldwide or something already. I don't know if that's right though. It's just unbelievable. But Yes, as HLR Andrew brings up, the Timon and Pumbaa clip I saw felt rigid and painfully dull. It's There's a rigidity to the whole structure of the movie. And this is something we have talked about in the past. You're adapting something from 2D animation, which is all about expression, extreme expression, over-the-top expression, exaggerated expression. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and there was a scene... Well, it, it's it's a classic scene because it's in the original movie where like <laughs> Zazu is there kind of like talking to Scar like you didn't show up for the uh, the coronation of the new prince or whatever. Like, what were you doing? Like, you should have been there. You need to respect your, you know, you need to respect the king or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah. that was today. And he's sort of like circling him. And in the original yeah. movie, you see Scar's deviousness in his face as he's plotting to like capture and eat zazu right yeah and scar Zazu's has like, a lot of expression in his face <laughs> and and zazu's like in oh what do you don't look at me like that right and he tries to fly away and he grabs him and mufasa walks in right as this happens so yeah. the scene plays out almost the same way except when zazu says don't look at me like that i wanted to say out loud look at you like what 
the lion's face never changed in the whole scene. It's the same exact freaking face. The expression in his face looks like, and this is looks like a lion. (laughs) It's just animals don't emote in their face that much. Some animals more than Mm. others, but most animals, especially canines and cats, like they don't, they don't emote with the face. That's why dogs are so hilarious to me. Because yeah. they emote with their bodies and their tails. Yeah, with their tails and yeah. And so, so they'll sit there with their blank face with their tails going crazy. Yeah, they're going like, they're moving, but so it's like funny. And their face is blank and it's like hilarious <laughs> because they're so excited, but they can't show that in their face. Yeah. And that that's really endearing and funny. And so like but in this case, it's like all of these characters never emote with the face. Mm, and so there's a whole lot of um, nonverbal performance that's lost by trying to make these animals look as real as possible. By the way, they do not look like real animals. I don't care that a lot of people out there are being like, oh my gosh, it's like perfectly real. I don't know how many years it's going to be before we can actually make a biological creature look photorealistic outside of just a frame. Yeah, right? one if, you, picture, if, you, yeah. if you were to take a still frame from the movie at some point, you might trick someone into thinking that was a real lion or something. Right. Especially any like the the real extreme close-ups on uh, the baboon's eyes. There's oh, a couple yeah. of shots like that where like a firefly is kind of going across his eyes. And it's like, that's pretty close to photorealistic. But when you get into motion and you yeah, see the when lighting, they start moving. Yeah. It's, it's just not quite real. It's still impressive. It's still, um, it's still, I mean, we still made tons of leaps since, uh, I don't know, like early days of trying to create creatures in CGI, Yeah, but it's not, they don't look like real animals. So to me, it's like, why is this a better way of doing it? than the 2D animation route where you can be so much more expressive and communicate so much more through the facial animation of the characters. Um, So that was one problem. The other was just how, like how fast it felt like it was moving, but it wasn't because it was actually moving fast. Like I said, the runtime in the movie is actually longer, but they, I can't explain it without having you see it. It's just like, um, if I can just pull one example in the original movie, when uh, Scar at the end of the movie, when S- Simba subdues Scar, and he says, um, "I'll do whatever you want," you know, just like take half mercy on me. Is and he mm-hmm. he repeats to him the same thing he said to him as a cub: "Run, run away, and never return." Right? And he's like, "Oh, of course." Like I understand, and he's like again plotting. Your majesty. And he throws the like dirt in his face and like distracts him so he can continue fighting. Like yeah. this version of the movie. Oh, yes, of course, your majesty. It's just, it's like there's no, <laughs> there's no vigor in the performance. There's no time. There's no beats. There's no breath in between. You know how in a script, when you're writing a script, you want a beat for impact, you write the word beat. So you have, you'll have a line of what the character says and then you'll write in parentheses, beat, because you're supposed to hold on that for a moment. Let that sink. Then continue on with this next part. Wow. 
It's as if they took all the beats in the script of the original out. Anytime it said the word beat, they just erased that and said, nope, don't take a beat. Just keep going on and on and on with what you say. And don't have any t- <laughs> don't have any beats at all in the movie. That's that's what it felt like. And it was just so everything feels rushed. And in addition to that, the can you feel the love tonight scene? Yeah. Right. The whole the song says it right there. Can you feel the love tonight? So Simba and Nala meet during the day. They spend that whole day together reminiscing, right. talking. It does it in a more of a homage type of style because it's a song. And so it's you know, a bit of a abstraction, I guess. Time is passing as they're talking and reminiscing and thinking about past times and sort of like renewing their feelings for each other. But in the movie, in this movie, it's in the freaking daytime. It is literally midday outside and they're singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? It's like they meet and like five seconds later, they're singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight in broad daylight. Like, what the fetch Hmm. are you doing? (laughs) It's ridiculous. You know what's funny? There is, there, there may, this may have something to do with what you're saying here a little bit. So there's this kind of like, I don't know, more of like maybe a study that has been done that determined that the amount of information you can convey in a 2D hand-drawn animation is something, what would take three frames to convey in a 2D hand-drawn animation takes something along the lines of like seven frames to convey in a live-action animation. Sure. And something, I don't know exactly why it is, but I think you have more definite lines, you have... You, you can focus the information more specifically on on something, you know, particular or like with anime, you have the character and then just the background. It doesn't matter what the background is. It's just moving and it's just a color and that's it, right? Because you don't need, but with live action, you, you really can't do that. There's so much to look at. There's so mm-hmm. much detail in everything. And it, it takes just a split second longer for the human eye to dart around and to ensure that they have seen what you intended them to see in live action as opposed to animation. So that could also be part of why it takes a little bit longer for this live, I say live action, but for this uh, CG 3d live action, CG animated version to um, kind of convey its meaning than the 2d animation, despite the fact that, you know, maybe it feels rushed, but that's because they're having to deal with the fact that you just can't convey as much um, information with something that looks more live action as quickly as you could with 2d animation, at least not the information you want to convey. So I think that's just a huge problem that they just have to, I don't know, figure out. Have you seen any of the other, I'm curious of how, about how any of the other Disney movies uh, remakes, um, what your feelings are on them versus the original. I haven't. And um, I haven't either. (laughs) I'm curious to see them now, but I don't want to pay for them. I want them to. I yeah. want to wait. Well, here's the problem: if they're going to come to streaming services, they're going to go to that that new Disney. Plus I know, probably. and that's yeah, not to like yeah. Netflix or something, right? Not to Netflix. An- another thing that bothered me too, yeah. and this is just another just another nitpick, another example of it feeling rushed, was you know the scene in the original where he goes to the elephant graveyard and Mufasa has to save them, and he's like he's like legit pissed at Simba you can feel like the power of Mufasa's like anger and he's like Zazu take Nala home I'm gonna talk with my son you're like oh fetch yeah he's in trouble like I think all of us especially those of us who grew up before like the modern PC culture like kind of got into parenting where you don't hit your kids you don't 
yeah. kind of a thing. Like we all had the fear of God placed in us by our dads at some point yes. in life. <laughs> where it's like, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my fetch kicked out of me right now. Like yes. you're like scared, right? Yeah. I I think felt- kids born in the eighties, like we were, I think that's the last group that actually had that. I think kids born in the nineties didn't have that. Yeah. Um so in in the original movie when that happens when when Mufasa says that and they leave Simba alone to be with his dad it it reminded me of that kind of feeling it had that power yeah. to it and at first he expresses some severe disappointment and he's yes. really feels guilty and he feels the power that what he did was wrong and then Mufasa after being stern tells him about the lights in the sky and how those are yeah. the previous kings. And they end it on a really good note where, you know, well, they're kind of play wrestling and stuff yeah. like that. I remember the, the last, the thing that he says in the 2d version, at least if I'm remembering right, was yeah, that's cause no one messes with your dad. That kind of yeah. thing where he's yes. like, I'm a freaking beast. Yeah. You know it. And everyone knows it. And Mufasa was a beast in that movie. He Holy was, fetch, you he felt feel untouchable, right? Yeah. You hadn't even seen him do much. He just, his presence yeah. was you, you felt that it's part yeah. of the voice though uh what's his name the dark and guy. and that's that's yeah james Powerful. earl jones james yeah. earl jones voices mufasa in this movie too which is why it's so interesting <laughs> that this scene has almost no impact to it uh, because yeah. he doesn't express any of that like stern severe disappointment yeah he just goes basically straight into the latter half of the sentiment which is to Oh, you're my son, and like everything's going to be okay. And he's he's like, you know, ending it on a positive note. I still love you, kind of a thing. But he right. didn't he didn't do the disciplining first, and so like then in the next scene where Scar takes him down into the, the little canyon, I think Simba in this version says something like, "Man, he was pretty mad at me," or something like that. It's like, no, he wasn't. He didn't he didn't express any anger whatsoever towards you. It was totally like freaking he let you off the hook um so but but a big problem is that like in that scene where mufasa dies like the reason that was so powerful is because you had two really really well executed scenes the circle of life thing where he takes him around on patrol and teaches him about how there's this delicate balance in life and it has to be maintained which is you know when scar becomes king the entire balance is overthrown because they overhunt Right. But Mufasa was all about like the ecosystem is maintained by the fact that, you know, we kill the animals, but when we die, we go in and feed the soil, which grows the food for the, the prey to eat. And it's just all this cycle, right? And it's all a balance. Um, anyways, you have that scene where you have this really strong fatherly bond and you have another really great scene where the father, father and son bond in that disciplinary scene after he's gone to the elephant graveyard. Those two scenes are key for the death of Mufasa and then for when he appears in the clouds to like remind him of who he is the power of those scenes are totally contingent on those two scenes of bonding feeling really good and resonating and for you really believing in those two characters and and how much they admire and love one another and it's so rushed because there's no beats Mm -hmm. everything's just bop 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 got through it bop 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 got through it bop 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 next scene that it's it just falls totally flat Okay, so that's my review of The Lion King. Now let's get back to talking about remakes, right? I, Getting back to talking about the time in which it's made, I wonder what kids who never saw The Lion King, because we were kids when I we saw the original. bring this up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kids 
who see this movie, they're going to love it. There's no reason for them not to. It's, it's, it's a quality production. Yeah. And the finer nuances of storytelling I'm talking about, not something kids pick up on anyways. It's just the sentiments and ideas are things they, they latch onto and they're on board with. It's probably pretty comparable to the Star Wars prequels. Yes. They, they came out during our generation, during high school, middle school for us, right? Mm-hmm. Or elementary school or whatever for the first one. Um, and we had seen the original Star Wars, but it was different. We This was our thing, you know, and, and we freaking loved it, right? And... I think that's probably how it's going to be with these a lot of these Disney remakes is it's the people who saw the original as kids growing up don't freaking they're like whatever uh, the original is better but the kids are like no this is like our thing this is cool this yeah is new and this is like and I think I think I agree with you they they probably freaking love it the one made during the course of that generation's formative years yeah will be the one that they like and the one they see in theaters and all that kind of stuff yeah. And this brings me to Final Fantasy VII. Yes. And just, just to the idea of who a remake is made for in general. We or, are on the same, same wavelength on this, I think. <laughs> I don't think the Final Fantasy VII remake, if, they're, if Square Enix is mindful of this at all, who knows if they are, I'm sure it's something that they have to talk about it to some degree. But there's probably a reason why it's not a turn-based game. They don't care about us 30-something-year-olds. I mean, they'd like to get us as much as possible. But I think remakes are made for the generation that they're yeah. speaking to at the time of its release. Exactly. And because yeah. there's no way they're going to please us. Not a chance that it's going to work for I feel us. Like, I feel like it would be a mistake for them to make it for us 30 something year olds who who grew up playing the original you know yeah i feel like that would be a mistake to remake the game we grew up with for us now today because that's just not how um that's just not how class oh hold on hold on i forgot to qualify this what hashtag not all 30 something (laughs) year olds are going to dislike the final fantasy 7 remake okay that's great people like maximilian dude he loves it I'm not saying all, okay? Not all. Okay, now we can go back to discussing. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I think that it's really hard, nigh on impossible, to remake something in the style they're doing it, where they're adding stuff and, like, the ground-up kind of remake, right? Uh, every to please change. the people you were talking to 30 years ago. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. It doesn't make sense. No. It's like we're not in our formative years. We're busy with our lives anyways. A lot of us, I mean, a lot of people who grew up playing that game, like uh, like Josh, you know, he played Final Fantasy VII. He's not going to play this remake. He's got a family and he's like busy with life and businesses and yeah. he's not going to play Final Fantasy VII again. That's never happening. They're not making it for I him. Get a kick out of seeing it, watching someone else play it for like 10 minutes and be like, yeah. oh yeah, this is the game. And then, and then that's it. And it's like, I'm done. I don't have time for this. Yeah. So this is going to be something that a kid who is 10 years old now or 15 years old now, like we were at the time that the original came out, they're going to play it without having played that original and they're going to freaking love it probably, right? It's going to speak to them. And I think that 
if you're going to do a remake, again, I go back to my original sentiment, which is you just shouldn't do it. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah. Um, from an artistic perspective. From a business perspective, it has been 100% the right choice for Disney to remake all these movies and make $8 billion more dollars. Exactly. That, they could have just left $8 billion on the table <laughs> for they, artistic yeah. reasons, <laughs> or they could just get $8 billion hanging right there for them to take. What do you think they're going to do? You and know no what I mean? They can take it. No one else can remake those movies. It's only it's, it was it's it's there for them to have if they want it. And no one else is going to take it and they may as well just grab it, you know. So, that is the the number one hurdle to overcome if you want to try and please the old audience. I say if you're going to do it this way, don't try to please them at all. It's probably not going to happen. Um right. here's what I think we wanted what we actually wanted us who are fans of the original and wanted some kind of update to it we wanted something probably more akin to a remaster um but but not exactly like the final fantasy 8 remaster that's coming up more like um like make it full 3d with camera controls yeah or or, uh like like, controls but the same game otherwise like I think of um, Final Fantasy twelve or ten, like the remasters they've done for those. Those are like perfectly acceptable. Like absolutely, yeah. I'm playing through FF twelve on the Switch right now, the Zodiac Age, and mm. love it. It's basic. It, well, it's not even basically. It is exactly the same freaking game, aside from the the job system thing. But I mean, like no, the, the stories oh, yeah. play the same way. You have the yeah. same voice actors, the same cinematography, the same story now right everything's exactly the same it's just updated into high definition you know what i mean like i think that we wanted something like that but it's tough for a playstation one game because playstation one games because they had static backgrounds it's like you you would have to create all that in 3d it's just a little it it came out at the wrong time for this whole remaster craze to to sort of bank on now that being said final fantasy 8's being remastered it looks all right but it's it's not quite the same to me as like the FF12 or FF10 remakes. Um, and of course, people have some problems with the FF10 remake. They remodeled the faces a little bit and uh, they redid some of the music. And I know some people like the original soundtracks. They like to switch to the original rather than like the new, like more orchestrated versions of them. So even still, like even still, when it's mostly the same thing, people are like, I still prefer elements of the original better than this remake uh it's very hard to please when you make changes to something that's beloved like that but i think that the final fan final fantasy 7 would have been best served by having some kind of update to the models akin to making them maybe somewhere in between like final fantasy 10 and final fantasy 12's quality in terms of poly count and like models and stuff um and then just being remastered at hd Everything all else the same. But otherwise un, untouched. Just leave it the same. Maybe fix some yeah. errors in the in the translation. Sure. Update it a little bit so that it's a little bit more accurate, but yeah. otherwise just leave it the same. I think that's the only way they could have pleased old fans. And I mean, they've done that with every other Final Fantasy. Done some sort of update or reimagining it. I think the only one that hasn't been done is like Final Fantasy five and six. Yeah, like what they they updated it with the like the mobile versions, but those look like complete garbage. I know the but, smoothing that's just stupid. But like for the most part, they've done that with every other game. 
Yeah. Except seven, which they decided to totally redo a, a new interpretation of the thing, right? And that's kind of the other element of it too. Can you be a person who's okay with this is not the vision of the original? This is a totally either reimagined or just a different take on that concept from the mind of kind of a different guy. Now, that's that there are the original, a lot of the original creators are working on this, but they're just taking a different interpretation of it. If you can go into something with that as like your primary mindset and being like, this is a different interpretation. Let's see what they, what they do. I think you can appreciate some of the things they bring to the table, other things you might disagree with. That's kind of how I feel about the things I've seen in the remake. I like that they're deepening this idea of the avalanche members feeling some level of guilt about what they're doing. I like that they're diving into that a little more. I don't like this like dementor element that they're bringing into it. Yeah, like broth just flying around feels unnecessary. I don't, I don't know why they need to add that to the story. I don't, I don't see why it's important. I'll wait for Final Judgment till I've played it and see how they do it. But I just you know see th- there are ways to make it interesting. But ultimately, I think that uh, watching this movie today gave me clarity on this. You're not going to ever get the original fan base, for the most part, hashtag not all, for the most part, you're not going to get the original fan base to fully embrace a ground up remake of something beloved that was that beloved at the time. Uh, There's going to be too many things that don't just, that feel a little off. They just don't quite feel right. And uh, so from an artistic perspective, don't do remakes at all for the original people. If you're going to do a remake, it's because you're doing it for the younger generation, the new rising people in their formative years now. You're taking a classic story, something that you know will resonate, has resonated before. You're trying to bring it for a new set of people, a new audience. I think that's pretty much the the best mindset to have when going into it and just realizing that a lot of the people who like the old thing probably won't embrace it too much. Uh, Kaysen's been lost. Let me go back and read some comments while we wait for him to come back. Um, there was a couple of people who tagged me directly. So let me see. Chocolate Rob says, have you seen the creepy cats trailer yet? I have. They actually played it in uh, the Lion King today. Um, and yeah, it looks weird. It looks weird. But that, but cats has always been weird. So I wasn't like totally taken aback by it because even like the Broadway musical, I, I mean, I remember even as a kid, like seeing clips from it and being like, what a weird freaking thing. Like, why do people like this? Uh, then we have J.R. Shire. Uh, what do you think about the cats trailer? Okay. So same question. Um, the uh, we got Riker's beard saying the problem with FF7 remake is entirely on Square Enix being an and completely incompetent company. That's a good point to bring up because again, I want I'm talking about like execution with the Lion King, right? The, the problem with the Lion King was not that it was too close to the original, because that was so funny to me. Is that we just came on the back of so many people complaining about. FF7 is too different. They're making too many changes, too many liberties. It needs to be more like it originally was. I, I heard that a lot when like E3 happened. And then on the back of that, the Lion King comes out and people are saying it's too, it's too similar. It's too much like the original. It has no soul. 
it, it, it's like there's no way you can win <laughs> if if you if you try to do your own thing with it people will not like it like the beloved original because the original's beloved and it's deep in people's hearts and it inspired them and everything like that they can't like something that's going to be radically different from that but if you make it the same there's just going to be those slight things that are off about it you know like i i don't like the way scar said your majesty there it just didn't feel right, right. if you get too close to it it won't f something will feel off but if you go too different then it's like this isn't the same thing the soul has been replaced it's it doesn't feel like the same thing anymore it's lost its way so i feel like there's really no right answer artistically Aside from do it, make something I new. <laughs> I don't give a fetch about you old people. This is for new people who never freaking played the original or never saw the original. Again, hashtag not all. There are lots of people <laughs> who were at E3 who played the Final Fantasy VII demo who are longtime fans of it and they loved it. And I will say, for one, that as far as taking it in and putting a bit, a bit of a spin on it, I think FF7 Remake is doing a pretty good job of that. I love the banter between Cloud and uh, Barrett during the first bombing run. The way that they clap back at each other constantly, the, the, the banter between them. Um, I think it is really well executed and totally in line with the spirit of the original, even though all those lines are new. They didn't say that in the original one. So it feels fresh, right? It's not like they're retreading the same ground or repeating the same thing, but right. it just feels something off about it. It's new dialogue. But it's like the same idea. The yeah, spirit it feels, is. It feels yeah. The spirit's familiar. maintained. Yeah. And so there are certain things they're really nailing, I feel. So I'm not writing the Final Fantasy VII remake off. I think they're doing a lot of great things. I'm just saying that they're, at some point, inevitably, when I'm playing that, I'm going to go, man, like, did they really have to do this? Or yep, this is getting too. off track. I, I don't think Sephiroth should be introduced this early. Or, like, or they should have just done it the way it was in the original game. Yep, That will happen. That will happen. That will happen. Yep. And it will never live up to us who played the original. Hashtag not all. To us who played the original. It will never live up to the original thing. Yeah, it basically can't. You know what's funny? Think about this whole thing in terms of, instead of in terms of like, I don't know. Think of it in terms of opportunity cost instead of however the heck you're thinking about it now. Like you want Final Fantasy VII remake, right? People really want it. And what are they, you know, they, they don't feel like they're losing anything to get Final Fantasy VII remake. However, the way it's being done, it's kind of changing the original. It's not, it's not maybe going to be done the way that they want it to. I think that's fair enough to say for almost anybody. Would you rather Square Enix have made Final Fantasy VII Remake or Final Fantasy XVI, right? Because they took a ton of resources away from their company to make Final Fantasy VII Remake. And they're basically making it into a, a like a different thing than the original game originally was, right? It would almost, other than the fact that it's a remake, it's going to sell billion copies. It's going to do very well, smart business decision, whatever. Um, artistically, it's almost like it would be better had they just made Final Fantasy 16 quicker than going back and remaking Final Fantasy 7 and making it so different anyways and people aren't really going to like it. So mm -hmm. if it, the company, I think, ha there's there's two ways of looking at it. And one of them is the ways of looking, uh, the way of like opportunity cost, which is what are you giving up in order to, to have the Final Fantasy 7 remake? Well, 
we're basically making it a whole new game anyways. It probably would have been better just to be a, a new thing as opposed to just to a rehash of something old. That's just yeah. another way of looking at it that I've thought. Uh, maybe yeah. if you want to do a remake, consider just making something new instead of doing a remake. A couple of things I want to respond to in the comments here. First of all, to Riker's beard saying, you can please both, but it is difficult. And in my opinion, requires respect for the source material, willingness to shake up the formula. All great remakes follow these rules. I, for one, have zero expectations for the FF7 mm. remake, but my point is independent of that. I'm apprehensive of the remake because I have zero faith in the company and its talent to pull it off. Given the past 15, 20 years of the track record, someone came out and told me that a company like CD Projekt Red got the rights to FF7 uh, and we're rebuilding it from the ground up, I'd be a thousand times more excited. Thus, I can't say I agree with Mike's thesis entirely, although I do agree with his warning to those who are expecting something they will never get. Again, I disagree with Mike. I think the product stands on its own merit. As a quality product, you appreciate it for what it is. It all comes down to the execution. Execution. Okay, so uh, here's, here's where I think maybe we're separating on this, Rikers. So, uh, first of all, I agree with the fact that good execution is literally at the heart of what makes something good or bad right but here here is what i think that maybe you're missing in in what you're saying when you have two things especially like the lion king that are that are very close beat for beat to each other any particular moment that comes up in in the movie you have in your brain you cannot separate yourself from it as much as you idealistically might want to say i'm going to appreciate this product for what it is and it's a standalone thing from the original, there will be some point in the movie where they say a line that is the exact same line from the original, and you will think, you know, I think that was a little bit better in the original. Like, I, I've seen the 1994 Lion King probably like 200 times because my mom would stick us in front of the TV right. when she needed to do something, and she'd put oh, a yeah. VHS in, and we'd watch it. And so we'd watch these movies a lot. So there's the cadence, the... um the way that the original actor delivered the line that is burned in my memory. And so when this new actor approaches the same line and it comes out weak, it's not just that I'm going to say, uh, oh, that felt a little bit weak, or I might not even have a point of comparison whatsoever because the original, I'd never seen the original or whatever. If it was a standalone product, I, I might just like look past it or it wouldn't like matter. But now that I have something to draw a comparison on in the first place, it's like, oh, I know how good that could have been. I know how good that was originally. I know how well, impactful true. that was in the first well, that's place. That's a good way of putting it. How good it could have been in anything you watch. You, you have no idea how good it could have been. You just know what it is. But for yes. a remake, you know what it could have been. Yes. That's yeah. there's a, there's a point of comparison. You cannot separate yourself from no that's matter true. how hard you try because you played, loved the original so many times. So it doesn't matter if I try to mentally separate myself from the original FF7. There's still going to be the point when they inevitably bring Sephiroth into Midgar in this first yep. remake they're releasing. I'm going to go, I just don't think that's as effective as seeing him for the first time in the Nibelheim flashback. I just don't think it is. And if I had never played FF7, I wouldn't have that comparison to draw on. It wouldn't even be an issue in the first place. So that's the problem, I think, that you can't really get over when trying to please both crowds if you're going to make these kinds of major changes. 
his response to that is, I agree with what you're saying, but you can shake those moments off and appreciate the bigger picture. The same works in reverse. You can see something different and think to yourself, wow, that would have been cool in the original. Of course, the original, of course, that's true that you can, that, that the reverse can be true. I think there was a line that I really liked in this new Lion King where Zazu flies in during the, like the battle at the end. And he says, uh, for king and country, he, he like zooms in and starts like attacking some hyenas, like pecking at him and stuff. And he says, for king and country. And I was like, that's a perfect Zazu line. Like that was not in sure. the original movie. And that's very true to his character. I really liked that moment, right? So of course the, the reverse can be true, but that's what I'm saying is that there's going to be inevitable comparisons and expectations to live up to. And uh, shaking it off is going to... Um, First of all, be dependent on the person, but second of all, it's going to depend on like whether or not a, a certain choice, especially when you're you're really making a major change to something, uh, is something that you think is as effective. But you wouldn't have anything to compare it to, so there would be. N Anyways, I think I'm just retreading what I said. I, I hold to it. Okay. Um, Jr. Yeah. Shire says. Uh, well, there is the stage musical of The Lion King. That was a wild success. Why does that work, but the CGI one not? It's a very good question, actually. The, I have seen. Have you seen the Broadway Lion King? I haven't seen the Broadway Lion King. Okay, I have, actually. It's, it's pretty different. I mean, it's the same story. A lot of the lines are very similar. But like Mike mentioned before, The Lion King, especially Scar and especially Scar, um, the lines were delivered very theatrically, very much in line with like the way a play kind of does things and the expressiveness and the performance is uh it, it lends itself very well to a play in fact lion king is in part based off was it hamlet is it hamlet that lion uh, king hamlet. where the kid comes yeah it's, back it's to leave based on hamlet yeah totally totally hamlet anyways yes. so old shakespeare stuff anyways it's kind of the source material for lion king at least in part is sort of based off of what was originally a play to begin with um, so you've got that kind of parallel there, but also the, having seen the Broadway Lion King, it's, 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 it's not anything like watching the movie. It is yeah. very incredibly different from, from watching the movie. And they have a lot more like African themes in it. And it just feels completely different. And you just watch a play and somebody's dressed up like Rafiki and doing their little dance. And it's like, Hey, this is nothing like the movie. Right. Whereas, What's, what it sounds like with this new film is that the live action version of The Lion King is very much a shot for shot remake of the original and it just doesn't work in the same way because of the expression and the way performances are happening and all just the way the original stuck in your mind. The play, you don't really have that. It's, it's basically gone. A, a play and a movie are just so hard to compare because when you're sitting down in a seat watching a play, you're not going to have any thoughts of the cinematography or the, the camera, the, I don't know, the editing or any of that stuff. It just doesn't exist in the same form. So mm -hmm. they, they're just different enough to where they can still work. Now there's another element to this that I kind of want to bring up uh, in response to Riker's beard saying here about uh, on being like on the same page, but just not agreeing with like the defeatist attitude. I don't want to give off the impression that, like... You didn't say hashtag not all enough. I, I didn't. <laughs> but I don't want to give off Just the kidding, impression that any change 
doesn't enhance the original thing. Have you seen the um, the YouTube video where they redo the fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader on the Death Star? I don't think so, no. Oh, dude, it's so good. Uh, versus Darth Vader. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link to yeah. This. Send me I'll, a link. I I'll put this I on had screen. no idea this existed. This is freaking sick. Uh, let me get it to you one second, and I'm gonna put it in the here for you. I'll put it for the chat too, but I'll, I'll play it on the screen as well. Let me put it into the chat. So this is the video we're gonna watch. And uh, give me a second. I'm gonna have to uh, put it on the screen, and I'll do this. So, here is a reimagined fight scene between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi from A New Hope. Um, and this is the other element of it that I wanted to get into as not necessarily a counterpoint, but just like something else to consider to everything that, uh, you know, I, I've said so far. And that is that there is such a thing, and this is also why I think a lot of those really old movies from like the 1930s and 40s and stuff were. Let me skip ahead to where the actual fight happens. They they do some. They they yeah, basically like lead right into it. I don't want to get like copyright struck again. Here we go. <laughs> um, there are technical limitations to consider as well, like those early 1930s 1940s movies being remade in like the 1970s or 80s or in the modern day. It's like they can do a lot more with movies now than they could at that time, right? And, like, the the budget restraints on 1977 Star Wars and, like, Alex Guinness being as old as he was, like, they just couldn't really put together, like, an engaging lightsaber battle between them, right? Like, they got better and better and better with lightsaber duels as they went on. And so if they were to go back, there's two sides to this, and I'm not actually totally (laughs) sure where I fall, right? There are, there are two sides to this. One is that I think if they added a scene like this, obviously this is done by one VFX artist, and th- there's some rough edges around it, but the idea sure, of it really well it really enhances the scene to me. It makes it better. Um, mm. if they, if, if, but at the same time, you have all those people who hate like the, the, the 19, late 1990s like re-releases of the original trilogy where they put all those new visual effects in them. You know, yeah. like it, the enhanced editions or whatever. Yeah, the special edition, I think. The special editions. Some people really hate those. And it's like, no, yeah. we want them in their totally original form, untouched, as they uh-huh. were at the time. And so I see the the value in preserving the art and leaving it the way it originally was and having an, a, an appreciation for history. At the same time, I really do think this lightsaber duel I'm going to skip ahead again. I don't want to get freaking copyright struck by Fox. I really feel yeah, like a, just... a longer extended fight scene like this between Vader and Obi-Wan would make the movie better. So again, this is not a, um, this is again, a hashtag, not all situation. Obviously yeah. there's a scale. I mean, it would, it would definitely make it in line. George Lucas said no, of course. Yeah. There's, there's a, George a spec- yeah, anyway. Sorry, you, you I go interrupt. Ahead. You go first. You go first. You go first. I was just going to say that George Lewis didn't know he was going to make more movies. And obviously, that's why he went back and made the special edition, because there were certain things that just didn't jive anymore with the original, the way that he had made the first one. And, and you know, 
I'm sure he would have added something like this fight scene if he could have, you know? Sure. And but you know, there there really is an element too of um artists not knowing when to like move on from a thing. I've definitely experienced this. Like there's a reason I've remade my Final Fantasy reviews so many times. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah. And why I'm planning on remaking them again it's hard to let go of something when you when you feel like there's something you can improve in it you feel like man i wish i had done this differently you see it and you see all the imperfections in it and it's like man i just i feel like i can improve it i can make it better but again what happened all the people all the old folks who watched it in 1977 were blown away and thought it was perfect they didn't really like fully embrace the special editions right they yeah, it's true. they wanted the old ones and I think, again, it, this kind of comes around full circle to you, you're speaking to the people you make it for at the time. And even little changes like that can really change the experience for those people. Um, it, it can, it, it, for them, it diminishes it. It diminishes that original experience, which is the one they fell in love with in the first place. And that's not even a full remake. That's just like adding a Millennium Falcon flying out of the freaking city. <laughs> yeah, or like yeah. changing there the way the X-Wings little, look. Yeah, there's very little they actually added in those special Ad, Adding Jabba the Hutt into one scene, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so it's a very tricky situation. It's really hard to please the older people who were had it as a beloved, beloved thing in the beginning. Yeah. But there are certain instances where I really do think it can improve it. This is one such instance. I think that fight scene was really good. That was actually and really cool. <laughs> if that was done by, uh, like, industrial light and magic you know to the the absolute highest extent it could be visual effects wise instead of yeah. one guy on youtube mm. like that could be really really great i'm sure there are a lot of people who wouldn't accept it though so it's a lot of it is subjective it's a case-by-case basis i wasn't there in 1977 so i i i will never have the same appreciation for the original experience of waiting as the lines wrapped around movie theaters four times, people waiting for hours yeah, and hours dude. to get in to see Star Wars. Freaking crazy. And, and seeing that and like how that would affect their perception of that movie versus me who my dad popped in a VHS and showed it to me for the first time. You know, I can't yeah. have the same experience as him. No, not even close. So no. my acceptance of this is painted by the fact that I wasn't there and my whole experience with the movies are different. Even though my movies or my experience with the movies are more similar to my dad's than, say, a, a generation growing up now who, like, their first introduction to Star Wars is, I don't know, a Star Wars episode seven and eight or something like that, right? So, yeah. I know, which I, <laughs> I prefer the prequels to Star Wars episode seven and eight, which is funny. It's just, that's part of just my age, though. That's just, that's, that's who I am. Those, you know, I don't really like these new ones because I'm older now. And, if they came out when I was 12, I'd probably love them to I'd be super stoked, you know? Uh, Riker's beard does bring up Greedo. That, that is a good point. So Yeah, he changed fair. that. But to, to Mike's point still, he, he just changes. That was like a, what, a one second like addition. He, yeah. he just changes tiny little things. I mean, that did have some implications to the character of Han Solo. But for the most part, he didn't change all that much, really. Well, and it's, and it's his character. People hated it. It's his character, right? And he felt like Han is not the kind of guy that would shoot first. But everybody else thought he is. <laughs> so yeah. everybody else has, there's like yeah. a dissonance but between the creator's people version. People still and, just hated it. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. Anyways, people, did you hear? I, I think I cut out for a little bit, but even though George Lucas only made a few changes, people still just hated it. And that's all yeah. I yeah, totally. was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, Bird also says... It's great. You can't win, dude. <laughs> I know. You guys talk about this all the time. The thing that made the fights like that impactful is all the writing and characterization. This isn't just two no-name sword wielders having a brawl with no Xeno sequences. This is Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Darth Vader. The whole movie build up to the tension or builds up to the tension at that point. You are engaged because the writing the effects are just icing on the cake. Um, oh, of course. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I think that goes without saying like, and, and I think I've said this in recent podcasts too. I am not engaged by action sequences in movies anymore, unless yeah, not as much. I'm really involved with the characters. The writing has been really good. I care about them. Um, so yeah, I mean that, if you take that, uh, that action sequence as a standalone thing and it's just like oh that was a cool fight scene or whatever without having all the build up to it from the movie it's it's nowhere near as impactful but i think if you watch the movie in sequence and then you have a really big awesome sword duel like that it 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 uh it can be more impactful because uh, all the writing built up to something large and climactic and then the movie's fight scene, the original movie's fight scene, is, is a bit anticlimactic. It's a little inflated. It is a bit. They, they kind of just yeah. stand there and bang, 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 bang. Versus uh, all the emotion and expression that can come through that fight choreography, the, the hatred from Vader as he just like, uh, like bears down on him, right? Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it a bit more with a, a more involved uh, choreography. So I think it would enhance it. Um, I'm definitely not speaking for all when I say that because a lot of people would disagree, I'm sure. Uh, something classic says, I think the mistake the prequels made was that, or it was what made the original lightsaber battles amazing was the drama and tension between the characters, not the flips and choreography. That is true as well. Sure. Uh, again, if you don't have the build up to it through the good writing, the action doesn't matter whatsoever. It's totally boring. Soulless. All right. Um, let's move on to a question from the audience. This comes from Michael Melconian. Podcast question. Mike, I know you just recently watched all the MCU movies back to back. Avengers Endgame is now officially the highest grossing movie of all time. As a huge fan of the MCU and as someone who appreciates your analysis of storytelling, I'd really like to hear your take on what I consider to be the most interesting experiment in long form cinematic storytelling. What worked in these films? What didn't? What choices would you have made differently? Did Endgame feel like a sufficient payoff to you? Do any of the new films announced at Comic-Con interest you? Really, I'm just curious to hear any opinions you may have on the MCU. Thanks. Um, I didn't... I've only seen a couple of the MCU, honestly. So my brother sat me down, and we watched all of them That at the time. I think they, since then, like the new Spider-Man came out, I did see that. Oh, yeah. Um, but of all the new stuff they announced, I, I'll say right off the bat right now, it is very ambitious to try and connect, I don't know, something like 20-something movies together in like this kind of long-form storytelling thing you're talking about. Um, I've only seen many of these once, and I've already forgotten lots of details. So what I did is I, I have it on the screen now. Right when I was fresh off the back of watching them, I gave my scores for each movie on Twitter. So I'll kind of just go through that real quick. Uh, the first Iron Man, what kicked it all off, thought it was a great movie. 
John Favreau. We were talking about John Favreau because he directed this Lion King movie. He's yep. been hit or miss. Uh, Iron Man was awesome. Iron Man 2 was not so great. Um, mm. Cowboys and Aliens wasn't so great. Uh, <laughs> Lion King wasn't so great. I've heard The Jungle Book is really good. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard. He's done good work. He's done some stuff that's uh, fell a little flat for me. Um, but he's competent. Anyways, first Iron Man, 4.5 out of 5. Thought it was excellent. Uh, Incredible Hulk. Of course, there's just Hulk, and then there's Incredible Hulk. Hulk was also weird, but not part of the MCU. Incredible Hulk is part of the MCU. It's the only one I couldn't finish because I thought it was so bad. Give it a 1 out of 5. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Man 2, 2.5 out of 5. Really fell flat for me. Disappointing movie off the back of the first one, which I thought was pretty good. Thor, 3 out of 5, pretty average. Captain America, same, 3 out of 5, pretty average. Avengers, I thought was pretty average, 3 out of 5. Iron Man 2, below average, 2 out of 5, didn't like it. Thor 2, this is one that a lot of people thought was pretty bad. It's like one of the least liked ones, Thor 2. I thought it was average. I thought it was as good as the first Thor, Uh, 3 out of 5. Winter Soldier, this is where the Russo brothers come in. Now, these dudes are good. These dudes are good. Every movie they've yeah. made, aside from Endgame, <laughs> I think has been amazing. So Winter Soldier, four out of five. Excellent movie. Uh, Guardians one. This is a controversial one. I didn't like the movie that much. Um, I, th- I felt like it undoes itself a little bit with its humor uh, or undermines itself a little bit. Uh, didn't it, The moments that are supposed to be emotionally impactful weren't for me because I think of uh, the tone of the movie. Um, certain choices that were made. I could get into details. I'm not going to take too long. Guardians 1, I gave it 2 out of 5. We saw that together, right? Back in the day. Yeah, back like 5, 6, 7 years ago, yeah. Did you like that movie? Um, Like, it wasn't bad. I, I did, like, I sort of liked it. I sort of didn't like it, I guess. I don't know. I was pretty ambivalent towards it, I guess. Um, I like Chris Pratt as an actor. He, I thought he was pretty funny. Um, the movie worked okay as a comedy, and it kind of sort of worked okay as like a getting the group together and becoming superheroes kind of thing. But yeah. I thought it was a one-off. I didn't know that they were really going to go all in and incorporate it into the MCU the way that they really have. So, yeah. But yeah, it was okay. Uh, Age of Ultron thought it was pretty average, three out of five. Most of these movies, I think, I, I think like the average score I give is like three out of five. I think they're just yeah. average movies. They they're competently made, uh, not really made for me though. Uh, Ant Man didn't like it very much, two out of five. <laughs> Civil War. I thought it was amazing. Four oh, and a half really? out of five. Really well uh, written. Super good movie. Uh, they did good character work in that one, so that's why I liked it so much. Oh, good. Doctor Strange, I also gave a four and a half out of five. People are, some people are surprised by this one, too. Some people thought it was a very average movie. I thought it was great. Um, Wizards are dope. Magic is sick. And uh, the way that they showed that visually when he's like his mind is opened to like all the possibilities because he's a very like empirical. He's like a surgeon. Right. So he's all about empirical evidence. And and then uh, his instructor like opens his mind to like all the possibilities in universe. Visually, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen uh, from a visual effects standpoint. Just so, so cool. But on top of that, I think that um, what's his name? Uh, Cumberbatch. Benedict uh, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor. He did the character. Uh, he played the character really well. Um, I yeah, think his I performance is great. I, I recommend it. I think it's okay, cool. one, one of the best ones. I really nice. liked it a lot. It's actually my favorite MCU movie. Oh, sweet. <laughs> maybe, maybe tied with Infinity War, but those two were like at the top for me. 
Hmm. Uh, Guardians 2, I liked a lot. This is also controversial. Most people like Guardians 1 better than Guardians 2. Guardians 2 um, is a little bit more consistent, I feel, with the tone. It's very hmm. funny. The jokes land a lot better for me. Uh, I'll just say this. The Mary Poppins joke at the end of the movie is perhaps the funniest thing in all the MCU. Like the best joke in the entire freaking thing. <laughs> Joke's amazing. I was laughing I, my I was laughing so hard out loud for like I had to pause the movie because I was laughing so much. Hilarious. Uh Spider-Man Homecoming, three to five, thought it was average. Thor three, just a tick above average, three point five out of five. I thought it embraced its... It was very self-aware, which is what made it work. But it's tonally very, very different from the previous two. And here's the one thing that I think... Why I think like connecting all these movies in the end is a bit of a detriment to some of them individually. Thor 3 is a comedy. Thor Ragnarok is a straight comedy. It's not taking I, itself seriously at I all. I did see that one, actually. And as a standalone film, it's pretty good. Uh, then you move literally the last scene of Thor Ragnarok is the first scene of Infinity War and you go from this really wacky silly tone into the darkest fetching thing <laughs> that you've ever seen in the MCU which is the beginning of Infinity War and just Infinity War itself so because there's so many different directors and filmmakers trying to do their own take, I think a lot of these movies as standalones are really great. But when you kind of like pull them all together and see that they're all part of the same universe and they lead one into another, it's it, 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 something's a little off. But I think that's inevitable because, I mean, it's, it's just such an ambitious thing to try and do in the first place with so many different artists. Black Panther, I thought was average. Infinity War it was amazing. 4.5 out of 5. Probably the best one. I, I flip between Doctor Strange and Infinity War is my favorite. Uh, any, any of the Russo Brothers films I thought were pretty good. Uh, Ant-Man, 2 out of 5, or Ant-Man 2, I should say, 2 out of 5. And the Wasp, yeah. Uh, the post-credit scene in that one was awesome, though. Liked the post-credit scene. Uh, Captain Marvel, 2 out of 5, below average, didn't like it. Um, Infinity War, I'd give it a 3 out of 5. Uh, I, I think that the time travel was messy and um, wasn't... <laughs> of wasn't wasn't the biggest fan of that as a resolution. It's really hard to follow on the back. It's kind of like an Empire Strikes Back situation. It's hard to oh, follow great. up something that is so good but leaves you in like a, things did not resolve and it's like, how are they going to win? And, and it's like, it seems the odds are impossible. So the way that it ends up wrapping up, I don't think can ever live up to waiting a whole year to find out, well, what happens? Like, imagining the scenarios. Um, of course, I didn't wait that long because I saw the movie right before the new one came out. But still, right, it just so happens. I think it's a similar concept. I just don't think it lives up to hmm. the conflict that was established. Nice. So those are my thoughts on the Marvel movies. Um, they're not. I'm not the audience for the Marvel films, so I'm not necessarily excited for the new movies. I'm sure my brother will uh, get me to watch them at some point in the future. Uh, okay. Well, I really don't have anything to add there. I'm just not in. I don't. I haven't seen those. I think one day I will. There's like 20 whatever movies. It's going to take me like 100 hours. But I think one day I will watch those movies. I just don't know when that's going to be. Landon, Landon started watching. I think he's watched all of them now. Really? Yeah. And he was talking to me about them. He's like, dude, they're cool. You should watch them. And I'm like, uh, just haven't really gotten into it yet. 
Uh, I want to respond to Rob here. He says, I loved the time travel. Very consistent. Um, I think it is uh, fair to say that they are more consistent with their rules for time travel in some ways than basically anything else. I mean, it's, it's as consistent as you can get with time travel. It's not so much <laughs> the fact that the that the, the rules weren't adhered to, that, though it is a little tricky with Captain America at the end. It's a little tricky with that. I'm not going to say anything else to, to spoil it, but that is the one part that's a little tricky. But um, it's that time travel is almost always the only solution to a, an unsolvable problem. The world was destroyed, half the universe was erased, whatever. Re- the first thing anyone thinks of as a result, resolution to that, we'll go back in time and like it never happened. <laughs> yeah. In some I don't ways, like that's the that. obvious solution. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that being the solution to this kind of problem every time. I enjoy Final Fantasy VI a lot more. World gets fetched and you have to defeat Kefka and reclaim the world, but you're not undoing the damage that was done. The consequence has to be observed. It has to be lived with. You have to move on. I appreciate that more than undoing stuff with time travel. Though, to be technical, it's not necessarily undoing it. It's just like universe jumping or getting into a parallel timeline. So there's only one possible timeline out of like, I don't know how many millions that would, where they actually won. They found the right one. That's not necessarily very satisfactory either because in all the other universes they lost anyways. I don't know. It's just I, I'm not a fan of that being the resolution, the use of time travel. <sighs> okay. Jason has left again. Um, last thing I want to do, this is a community story from Greg Troyan who is um who has sent us in a a sample from a film that he has scored. So we just did a, a score for a feature film. I'm not sure what the film is. He didn't tell me the name of it um or if how or when it's going to be distributed or anything like that. But uh he sent me a sample from uh his film score that he wanted me to play on here. So I'm going to do that. It's just a a little clip I'm going to be quiet for a bit and uh, just play this through. But this is from Greg Troyan, also known as Lipstick Generation, I think, the username on YouTube. And he is stoked about finishing his very first film score. So let's take a listen.
Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Oh, Chris says you're muted. Did you mute? I muted myself, but I didn't oh, mute okay. the music. Okay, I'm back. Um, okay. So anyways, what I was saying was that, um, th first of all, congratulations to Greg for finishing his first film score. It's a, it's a great achievement. And I was talking about how I've done some film scores, but not for feature films, for like our videos and stuff like that. And the, the process can be, uh, it's more difficult than just composing something because you're not just, um, you're not just writing a piece of music. You're, you, they're going to send you an edit first, a locked edit, which is not always necessarily a locked edit. So you're going to synchronize your music and time it to the beats of the scene that you're composing for. And then sometimes the director will be like, we want to throw this extra shot in there. And then you have to like, anyways, I'm not sure what that process was like for, um, for Greg, but it can be, it can be difficult, especially with uh, deadlines and things like that. So congratulations. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, oh, that's difficult work. Um, but thank you for sending that in and thanks everyone for, watching today's podcast and listening it's over we're done done for this we're week talking. thanks for your comments for the discussion it's been stimulating stuff uh and we'll see you again next week not sure what the topic's going to be but we'll decide probably right after we're done here have a great weekend or the remainder of your sunday everyone peace out